Welcome back to Restless. You've joined Daring Diane, Punctual Paul, <laughs> and <laughs> myself, <laughs> Father Joseph Gill. Faithful Father Joseph. Oh, I like that. Faithful. <laughs> that works. <laughs> As together, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in the midst of today's crazy and mixed up world. And did you guys hear recently about the potential Eucharistic miracle in Connecticut? I did. Yes. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Yeah, Yeah. Thomaston, when everyone's like, where the heck is Thomaston? Way, way, way up north. Litchfield County. Yeah. Take Route 8 and just keep driving. South of Torrington. Yes. North of Waterbury. (laughs) Be specific. Do you want to give us the exact zip code? I don't know the zip code. Okay, that's that's pretty good, though. It's pretty good. I think I'm right. So what have you heard about the miracle? Because that's pretty wild. I just watched a one-minute clip, and the priest was explaining. It was actually, I think it was live-streamed or something, so it was him, you know, actually at the Mass, and he said that one of the Eucharistic ministers was um, running out of communion hosts and that uh, our Lord multiplied himself such that it was not necessarily necessary to go back to the tabernacle to um, to obtain more consecrated hosts. Yeah, I know, and it's, that's kind of a, kind of a remarkable story in a lot of ways. You know, one is it, it, you know, why did it happen then and there? You know, why did it happen to that particular Eucharistic minister? It wasn't even the priest who did that. Yeah. You know? It just seems, uh, I mean, I certainly, I certainly believe it. I have no reason to doubt his, his testimony, but it seems random. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, why, why, why that Tom, Why Thomaston, mm-hmm. you know? But, but I, think it's, I think it's important ever, more ever so now. A, you know, a recent poll came out a couple of years ago where only a third of Catholics believe in the real presence of Christ why do you think that is? I mean, that's that's a terrible statistic. I don't know. We recorded an episode on rationalism or something to do with that. So I think it's uh, I think it's natural for humans to look at a consecrated host and say, well, it's kind of like if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and swims like a duck and flies like a duck, then it must be a duck. So and so I like think that's red, yeah exactly like red, right right. Red. So I think that's our modern rationalistic way of considering things and so that's very hard to overcome for most people for a lot of people well most people i guess because it's only it's two-thirds that don't yeah yeah well i i don't know i can't remember that poll very specifically but i would i would presume that many of those people don't know the doctrine to begin with they don't understand it yes and i wonder how many of those people are catholics in name only who don't actually practice faith yeah which kind of could skew the results not necessarily two-thirds of the people in church on sunday i think it was a pew poll if i'm not mistaken but it it might be which i think is so ironic they're called pew oh ha i mean if it's about christianity (laughs) (laughs) right i'm sure there's a reason why what do you i mean what do you think i i agree with paul you know certainly you know you see you see the host and it, it it looks like a piece of bread, you know? So I think people are often deceived by appearance, right? And um, I, I think a lot of people struggle with the supernatural just in general, you know, the belief. Um, and particularly amongst Catholics, I think catechesis has unfortunately been so poor, you know? People don't have a uh, strong knowledge of scripture or the story of salvation um, and sort of all of the the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, if you really do, you know, a solid Bible study, you kind of see all of these things like the Passover. You understand what Holy Thursday was, Good Friday, um, manna, you know, like the new manna, the bread of the presence. Um, you make all these connections and it just it, it strengthens your belief in in what is actually happening at the Mass, you know. I think it, it's a, a fundamental... fundamental um, 
lack of understanding of what the mass is, really. Yeah, that's certainly true. But I think you guys are right about the the lack of supernatural, you know, because I think sometimes, especially when I'm teaching people, they'll they'll kind of associate spiritual with symbolic. Mm-hmm. And the two are not the same, right? I mean, we have a soul. It's not symbolic. It's not, you know, just a nice symbol. Like the, the soul is a real thing. It has real existence. But we only think, especially in our modern world, that things that, that you can measure have real existence. Yeah. I like, I've always found it helpful the way St. Thomas Aquinas kind of the Aquinan, uh, the Thomistic way of looking at it, where the substance of the bread has changed, but it still maintains the accidents of bread. That's always clicked with me for some reason. So I, I like I like thinking about it in that particular way, and it helps but I think frame one, it. I, I totally agree, but I think one challenge um, in understanding that is that there's literally no um, parallel in the, the natural world. There's nothing in the entire world where the accidents stay the same and the substance changes, hmm. Right. Because anytime the substance changes, if I'm going to take a, a log and turn it into charcoal, the accidents change as well. Mm-hmm. It looks different. It doesn't look like a log that's now something fundamentally different on the inside, right? So that's the hard thing is that we have no analogies to use in the natural world. It's something that goes beyond our analogies. Yeah. And that's where faith comes in, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, um, it's, again, I, I think a solid catechesis is very helpful, you know? And, of course, these Eucharistic minis- uh, miracles serve to uh, bolster that faith. But, um, you know, uh, I think people tend to, to box God into, like, we think with our rational human brains, which are very limited, right? So it, it just se- seems impossible. But God can do the impossible, right? He's, I mean, he's created, he creates with a word. He can, um, he can do anything. And so, um, I think you often forget that even, even good Catholics struggle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, no, absolutely. Because you tend to form an image of God in your head that is actually not who God is. Yeah. You know, it's limiting. But you're right too, that we don't, we don't fully understand how much our, our materialistic culture in the sense of like that the only thing that exists in the material world, how much that's even seeped into Catholics' brains mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And part of that too is I think the fact that many masses have lost the transcendent peace, right? So a lot of the churches you go to look just very, very much like a social hall. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like, it doesn't look like there's anything truly going on here. Mm-hmm. And masses look like an entertainment piece and, or, yeah. Sometimes bad entertainment. Yeah, a lot of times bad entertainment. Cheesy, right? maybe cheesy. Right. And that's I like a- cheese. I like the <laughs> substance of cheese. I do, I don't yeah. like the accident of cheese. Well, cheese does an accident on my guts, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, honestly, the lack of reverence, right, with a lot of the Novus Ordo masses in particular, um, and just the, you know, post-Vatican II, um, uh, you know, the, these churches were just stripped of, you know, the altars, the altar rails, I mean, beauty um, and beauty and reverence lift your minds and your hearts to God so that you can kind of, you know, better conceive what is actually happening. Because whether you believe it or not, I mean, um, whether you believe it or not, you know, the transubstantiation is is a fact. It's just, um, I think it becomes more difficult when you have sort of that lack of, um, yeah, lack of reverence. Right, exactly. I was at a church recently to give a, a Lenten mission, and um, their tabernacle was off to the side, which, you know, is... Uh, very post-conciliar. You know, yes. It was very post-conciliar, but, but the tabernacle looked like a spitball. What? Because, what? What do you mean? Like because, a rock? Like a jaggedy rock? It was, yeah, it was, it was a round, jagged thing with, like, it looks, it was supposed to be rays coming out from it, but it looked like it was a spitball that was flung against the wall and had splattered. 
everywhere. Yeah, it was very terrible. Although, you know, a, a well, dear, it's terrible the way you explain it. I don't know if it's nice or not. A dear friend of mine who had visited that church said it was the Eye of Sauron. Oh, that there you go. Kind of his, yeah, yeah. His way of looking at it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but that lack of transcendence. Yeah, you look at it. It's off to the side. You got to find yeah. it. You know, see, search for it. And I think I think peace is the key word. Like, I don't think a church necessarily has to be, you know, like a gothic missile shooting up to heaven, but. It can be very simple, but still peaceful and yeah. transcendent. Yeah, it can be. It can be. Um, but some and of even them, masses, some of them masses can be simple oh, and still I, transcendent. It doesn't I'll have take, to be Gregorian chant and you know, all right. this. I'll take a mass with no music over mass with bad music every day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes if I know a particular church doesn't have the best music ministry, I will choose to go to its 7.30 mass or whatever because <laughs> it won't irritate me. That's fair. No, you shouldn't be irritated while you worship. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what about you personally? Have you ever doubted or struggled to believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist? Was it like a time in your life where you're like, ah, I don't know? Because um, that can be a hard doctrine to believe in, even for lifelong Catholics like we are. I think, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I've had the, there's, there's, I've had like a cognitive dissonance where it's like, okay, I know this to be true, but I'm struggling. Like I know it and I don't deny it, but I'm struggling to contemplate it that's fair does that make sense yeah 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 maybe kind of the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge yeah yeah kind of i i've experienced the same thing yeah there were some you know some time in my life when i can distinctly remember being like i know this is really jesus but i don't feel like it is yeah like everything in me is telling me it's not but i know that it is yeah i think that's fair Especially, as I said before, we've, with our rationalistic mindset, we've grown up in a rationalistic world where science is separated from religion, almost from birth, that it's understandable. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's unreasonable to have those moments. No. And I think, I think that's kind of part of the necessary journey to, to adult mature faith. Really, I mean, faith is deepest, I think, when it's blind, you know, when you don't have the sometimes the sensory experiences where you're not mm. like seeing the miracles and we're just kind of being like, Lord, I trust you only because you said it or only because your church teaches it. And I don't, it doesn't make rational sense to me. It, you know, I can't figure yeah. it out. That's humi- that's that's humbling. It's humiliating. Yeah. And in a good way. In a good way. And I don't think, I don't think many people have that degree. I, I don't think a lot of people have that degree of humility. Yeah. Cause you it, have to, you have to be humble in those particular circumstances and, and that might be why Christ comes to us in the most humble of appearances as bread, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that we can, because it's only really food for the humble. Mm. If you're expecting something great and grand, you're you're not going to be you're satisfied. Right. Right. What do you think about tangent? What do you think about? Uh, <laughs> Which is another great show on Veritas Catholic Network. Yes. I didn't do the plug this time. No, that- <laughs> no. I usually do the plugs. Yeah. That was me. Go on. Right. Um, the. Uh, what about churches that um, do uh, the bread and wine or the body and blood of Christ in the chal- like the chalices? What about chal- it? Chal- I mean, yeah. What, what do you think? What, what do you think about that? Do you think that helps strengthen the faith? Do you think it's unnecessary? Well, it is unnecessary. It's, do you it's, think it's? You know, so we we believe in a doctrine called concomitance, which yeah. means that you believe that anytime you receive the host, you're receiving body, blood, soul, and divinity. Mm-hmm. Same with precious blood, right? You're not just receiving one or the other. So it's you're right; it's not necessary. It is a fuller sign because a fuller it's, sign. What does that mean? There's a greater sign value, right? Because because 
sacraments, uh, there's, the definition of sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ to mm-hmm. give grace, right? So there's there's an outward, um, visible, tangible reality that helps us to appreciate the inward reality of what's going on in the sacrament. Mm. So to receive a liquid and a solid helps us to appreciate and to open ourselves to the very reality of body and blood. Right. Now, with that said, I'm very glad that COVID killed it in a lot of parishes, and we have chosen not to bring it back in my parish in large part because um, I'm a, I am of the old school that that we don't need an army of Eucharistic ministers giving right. out you know right. this right. and that and Agreed. this and that you know I heard it once one of, one of the priests here in Stanford said well by the time you get to the end of the line there's a lot of accidents in the precious blood <laughs> there's a lot of accidents all you need is one blood. lady with lipstick man I'll tell yeah so <laughs> and that and that's uh, but it's interesting I know the Eastern Catholic Church they intinction they do all. They have like the bowl of. They have a bowl <laughs> with a golden spoon, and it's both. They do. The, yeah, the, the and body and the blood like mingle together. It into your mouth when you go up and you do like a uh, what's the thing with the pole that you go underneath? Is a game limbo. 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 Like a limbo <laughs> stance, and then they kind of like feed you. It does. It does look like limbo a tad bit. A little bit, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. A tad yeah. bit. Well, in Spain, they dip the host into the precious blood as well. Oh, do they really? receive kneeling? Yeah. Oh wow. Yep. Oh, I haven't had that. Mm-hmm. You have not to be very not careful. Not the last time I went to Mass in Spain. Oh, interesting. I guess I was chipped. Yeah, you have to be very careful, careful with that to not drip any of the Eucharistic species. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I see. and that's and that's part of why I don't. Well, that's why you'll see when the priests do it, they bend over quite, quite meaningfully over yeah. the chalice. Right, and you need the patent like it's right there to right. prevent it from falling. Yeah. So, so with all of this, you know, I, are you aware that the U.S. bishops are? doing this three-year Eucharistic revival campaign? Yes, but I don't know what the intended goal is or the intended if or the intended tactics by which they are going about this. Well, the goal is to restore the faith in the in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. The tactics are well one one tactic is a giant Eucharistic Congress out in Indianapolis, I think it is maybe. Which sounds really it sounds really cool. It's like kind of like a mini like World Youth Day sort of, but for families and people of all ages and mm-hmm. um not nearly as exotic as going into Paris, but you know, Portugal. Paris. Oh Portugal. Yeah, but they had in Paris too, but Yes. I'm going to Portugal this year. For the World Youth Day? Yes. Nice. Are you going, Diane? No, I'm not. I think this is my last year that I'm am considered a youth will when it will be held. So <laughs> Well then you could be a chaperone. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I was asked to do that in the past to Poland, and I said no. Really? Yeah. Could be nothing more rewarding than helping young people encounter Christ in a foreign country. <laughs> I knew several chaperones, and it was hard, exciting. Yeah. No, I've I've only run one international trip to Rome with uh, teens. That was a that was an adventure. Yep. Definitely, I would do it again though. It was- so anyway, so they're doing this big Eucharistic adoration. Festival, conference, well, yeah, yeah, event, and, gathering. And they've done, we've had events in our diocese, so they've done, I think at this point, three or four, and I know, Father Joseph, they've been at your parish in terms of the uh, um, nights of worship. I think that that qualifies as part of the Eucharistic revival. Oh, like sure. Correct, art. right? Yeah, so it's basically a night of, um, they open up a parish a Saturday evening from like, I don't know what it is, seven to nine. Um, there is music. Um, talk by, you know, because they have, I believe that there are priests specifically assigned to um, to travel around for this Eucharistic revival. Yes, so. the Eucharistic missionary preachers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So someone who, um, I guess the, I did Leonine for him in New York City, um, and 
the uh, the chaplain. He is is part of this revival. There, I know that there's a couple of Dominicans who I listen to regularly who are you know assigned as well as Franciscans. So I went to the first one. It was in Stanford downtown at Holy Name Parish, the Polish church. Mm. And um, yeah, it just the lights were out when I got in. Candles were in the aisle. Try not to trip <laughs> on everything. <laughs> yeah, really. Because uh, I came in a little bit late, but you know it started out with music. It, it looked like they had some sort of professional or, you know, um, I, I don't know who they hired. It was more of the praise and worship. So, you know, I don't know if they've switched that up because you can, everyone has a different preference for worship style. Yeah, you can worship style. in different ways. Yeah. yeah. So it was that. And then um, the one that I went to, it was a CFR who gave a, a little homily sort of on the Eucharist. So it was an education of, um, you know, of what we believe. And then it was just a lot of... Um, yeah, more music and kind of just silent prayer time. So a um, couple of hours and uh, there were a decent amount of people. So well, I do think God is raising up adoration to help people to know the real presence because, you know, and Protestants can mimic the mass in a lot of ways, right? They can have readings and give out their version of the Eucharist, which is just bread and wine. Mm-hmm. And they believe in it to be just bread and wine, symbolic, right? But but they really, Protestants would never mimic adoration. Yeah. Right? Because mm-hmm. that, would, that implies that we're actually adoring what they would see as a piece of bread, right, but what yeah. we know is the real presence well, of Christ. That's what they would say about yeah. And I would say that adoration has really strengthened my belief in the Eucharist. And um, it's, you don't necessarily, I think we have to be careful about um, like what we were talking about. It's okay not to feel that Christ is there, but the spiritual life is not about feeling. It's really about, you know, understanding what, like if we take Jesus for his word, right, and there's lots of biblical evidence for this, there are uh, so many ways that you can kind of approach the the, the true presence in the Eucharist. Um, my own experience has just been, it's one of those things where, you know, just like if you're um, starting like a running regimen, right? Like you just, some days you're not going to feel it, but you just got to keep going, like make it consistent. And the graces that come from going to adoration, at least in my life, have been so um, so transformational. Like I've just asked God in, in many ways to heal areas of my heart that I didn't think would ever be able to be healed. And it like to be raw and open with him about like, I'm not sure if you can do this, you know, like that's, that's what he wants. And that's where he like, he does, he works those like amazing transformations. Right. I mean, it's, uh, I think I had read one of the saints like compared it you know, sitting at adoration is like getting a sunburn, right? You're just, you don't need to feel anything or, or, you know, have this, you know, even if you don't have a hundred percent confidence that he's there, it's like you're being hit by these rays of grace. Um, and I've certainly, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to walk out there and you're going to be this like totally faithful, confident, abandoned person, but it's certainly, you know, like the spiritual life is a journey. Well, it's, and, right. It's gradual. Yeah. Transformation is gradual. Yeah. I mean, just like you can't really notice a suntan after one hour. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, unless you're in, like in a tanning bed or Use that spray stuff. You might be burnt. Or you might, you might be burnt, yeah, in a tanning bed yeah. for an hour. But, I think, yeah, I mean, I think in the past, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, there's many uh, kind of uh, whatever caveats to what I'm about to say, but I would say that among the faithful, I would say reverence in the Eucharist has gone up. But my caveat is, is that we live in a fairly devout bubble down here in Lower Fifth County. Yeah. And so, <laughs> but do. I think there is, I mean, I've been to other places around the country where they're bringing back altar rails or kneelers because most altar rails are gone um but like kneelers and um and more adoration and so it seems among the faithful it's probably it may have gone up a bit like the the faithful the faithful faithful you know in some respects yes i mean i brought kneelers to my parish about six months ago 
How is that? Going? And it's been it's been really positive. I would say about twenty five to thirty percent of people use it on at Sunday Mass. Uh, my biggest struggle, to be honest, uh, is to help people to understand the internal internal dispositions you need to have for the Eucharist, mm-hmm. particularly to be in a state of grace. Because mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of people who maybe maybe have been taught, or maybe just if not, you know, not paid much attention, just kind of under the impression that that the Eucharist is like you know, a, a kind of like a Protestant idea of just you know, it's a way of sharing fellowship mm. that you know everyone who's there is welcome. Well, that's not what the scripture teaches us, right? Because St. Paul in Corinthians says, you know, if you eat the flesh and blood of our Lord unworthily, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. So I'm trying to impart in people that, no, confession is a necessary part of, uh, you know, living a Eucharistic life. Yeah. Right. It's and a pretty big deal. Well, that's why we only need to go to confession once a year. It's because we only need to receive the Eucharist once a year, right? Need. Te- yeah, te- like, need. like bare minimum. Well, what However, the church asks of us is so small. Right. What actually what they ask, what the church asks. The, the absolute bare minimum requirement, yeah. Is very low. And, and that was put in place back in the day when people would receive communion very rarely. I mean, it said, that year, yeah. it said that St. Francis of Assisi only received it three times in his lifetime. Yeah. But going back to what you said, too, about people not receiving in a state of grace, I think that that is something that, you know, like— priests should definitely be talking about from the pulpit um it's certainly something that we should know but i found like a lot of uh, a lot of catholics just don't are not aware of that um you know and to you know it's um you know i think people also have a hard time understanding it but like and that mis- and that missing mass is a mortal sin exactly that's yeah. one of the biggest ones i mean a lot of people think that they're not in the state of mortal sin because they haven't murdered well, they don't realize there's a lot of mortal sins that are committed by very good people. Yeah. Missing mass, getting drunk, sexual sins. I, I was at a parish recently, another parish in, in our diocese, where their examination of conscience for adults skipped the sixth commandment. Adultery? Yeah, yeah, that's the sixth commandment, yeah. Yeah, and that there are a lot of things that fall under. It's not just fornication. It's, you know, right. lustful, it's thoughts, lustful it's thoughts. It's all those things, you know. Um, yeah, looking at bad right, images. So they don't have the little, the little standard one? No, the they, they one. made they made their own, and it was like, you know, have I tailgated somebody in traffic? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, that, yeah, it's all right. Not be a have I gossiped? Have I done this? Yeah, fine, but they totally skipped over any of the sexual things, which I can understand it being a, a sensitive topic, but the fact is, Almost everybody's parishioners struggle with that mm. regularly, yeah. and if if not, then they're lying about it. Right, right. What? I think I think there's a I I don't know. I'm optimistic. Well, it's not optimism. It's understanding. I I don't think people are well catechized generally. No, that's very true. And so they don't know. They truly don't know. I mean, maybe they wouldn't change if they did know. That's like the cynic. But maybe if they did know and they were better educated, then maybe they would. Well, I think if they knew, there would be a choice that they'd have to make. Do I want to remain Catholic or do I want to leave? Because if if you know, I mean, you it's it's if your conscience is going to start bothering you about this action or that action, then you either have to change your action mm. or somehow stifle your conscience. Right. Well, if you understood the real, so it goes back to if you understood where we started this conversation. If you if you understand the real presence of the Eucharist and the gravity that comes with that. I think people would probably be a bit more willing to, and if they believed it and they wanted to believe it, they'd be a bit more willing to go to confession and right receive on I mean, the tongue or whatever, yeah, like you, all the really different believe, things I mean, that you might do to increase reverence. I mean, Christ. I've heard many pro- stories, maybe maybe apocryphal, but many stories of Protestant pastors who said, you know, if I believe what you believe, I would crawl into there on my hands and knees into your church. 
Heck yeah. Well, right? Please do. Because I mean, it's, it's, please do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you do, if you believe it. One, um, one other resource, uh, Father Mike Schmitz on Ascension Presents, he did the short video on sort of why you can't um, receive communion if you're not in a state of grace. And I thought it was very helpful for, because I hear this a lot from people of like, well, you know, the church is just so, you know, discriminatory against people in terms of, of who can receive and not. But, you know, he was saying if you're not in a state of grace, meaning you're in a state of mortal sin, meaning you do not have sanctifying grace within your soul, um, you know, the uh, the Eucharist is not medicine for the sick. You know, it's it's not medicine for someone who is dead. Right. Okay. It's it's medicine for someone who is sick. And so if you're dead, this medicine is not, you know, so... It's not going to help see you. That, yeah. 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 And I thought that that was a very good way for people to kind of understand, you know, like what is going on and, and the fact that mortal sin separates us from God, you know? Um, the life of grace is dead within us unless we go back to confession. And that is a grave, you know, that is... And it causes a real reality. It's not mm-hmm. symbolic. Like a mortal sin is not a symbolic death. It's yeah. a real death. There's something really died yeah. within you. Yeah. And and I think it's an important caveat that... Um, so not all grave sin is mortal sin. I think we have an obligation to yes. go to confession if we're in grave sin to some extent. But I... I always encourage people, like, you can ask questions in confession and seek advice, and especially if you struggle with habitual sin, things that you're struggling with, and they'll help you, generally. Yes, no, that's certainly true. That's certainly true. I mean, I, I mean, there's always, you know, I also hear frequently uh, from our, our elderly parishioners, oh, you know, I feel so guilty I missed Mass. Well, why'd you miss Mass? Because I was in the hospital. Like, like well, that's a perfectly good reason. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's, that's a good, you know, like, yeah. But I, I agree. I mean, I just did, I had an RCA lesson last night and I was talking to the candidates. She's teaching. She's not going through it. Yes. Just FYI. <laughs> and I was talking to my candidates who are, you know, coming into the church and uh, granted most of them, I mean, four of them are being baptized. Um, so they don't need to make a confession, obviously. But um, for post-baptism, I just encourage them, you know, like we went through the whole examination of conscience, which I think is very important because it's, to your point, it's not just like murder. It's, there's a lot of th- subcategories that fall under these um, sins. And um, I think it's it's just a prudent thing to do is to bring all of your sins to confession because to your point, Paul, I'm not sure everyone understands the difference between mortal and venial sin. And also the grace of confession gives us like, I mean, confession gives us the grace to overcome those sins. So right. um, bringing them certainly is, is helpful. Yep. And especially if you're new at confession. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on the... It depends on the confessor. Yeah. But if you can find a good confessor. Father Joseph. Yeah, that's Father Joseph's a great confessor. My, no, my line's long enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't yeah, don't go there. No, I'm kidding. Um but uh but no, that is important. I remember if you if you find a good confessor, then they'll it can be very fruitful. And it they should be a lion on the pulpit and a lamb in the confessional, and not all are, but many are. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I you're right, you have to find a good confessor. I remember I've had plenty of ones that have said some strange things, like remember one time confessing the sin of gluttony. And he said, no, it's not gluttony unless you throw up. Like, well, that's an extreme. And I was like, <laughs> I was like well, that doesn't sound right. Well, maybe it's the difference between a, like, a venial sin and a mortal sin. Perhaps. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure. But all right, last question, because we only have a minute left. But I think we have to ask ourselves the question that, that's kind of an elephant in the room, is that isn't the Eucharist cannibalism, right? Because we're eating someone's body. How do you explain that? Well, normally, I guess cannibals eat dead bodies, so we're eating the the glorified and resurrected body of Christ. Doesn't that sound worse? We're eating a living body? (laughs) (laughs) 
So if I eat your arm right now, how, how would you I'm respond to that? Well, I I've heard the I don't know if this is a kind of a Scott Hanism, but I've heard that we are we are we act as the bride, like Christ is our groom and we are the bride, and in order to consummate that relationship, the Eucharist is the means by which we do that on earth. And so, ah, so kind order, of a marriage parallel, a marriage parallel, yeah, and that's how we. I mean, it's no marital act, but that is, in a sense, like a proxy for that. Sure, sure. One body entering another and bearing, bearing fruit. Yes. That's interesting. That's interesting. I think that's a Scott Hahnism. It is. It so, is. Right? Sounds okay, almost, yeah. almost like a Christopher yeah, Westism. Yes. It could be that too. He's very much into the yeah, sacramental. The theology of the body type yeah, thing. Theology yeah, theology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all nice connected thought. to marriage. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you What do you say? I say, and I have to be very, very clear with the language here. So. The church officially defines that Christ's presence in the Eucharist is not physical. What that means is that it's not based on the laws of physics, right? So if I take a Eucharistic host and break it in half, both halves are still 100% Jesus. There's nothing in the physical world that if I break an apple or something else in half, you just don't have two apples, right? You have half an apple and half an apple. Mm. It's not a full apple. So it breaks that law of physics. It breaks the law of physics of it can be in literally two places at once, right? It can be in every tabernacle in the world still there. Mm. Right, so so it, it goes beyond physics. What Christ's presence is, His presence is a unique way called the sacramental presence. Sacramental doesn't mean not real. It doesn't mean fake. It doesn't mean symbolic. It's a new way of being. Paul's giving me a look. Like I just didn't no follow idea. that. Sorry. So so in other words, like it's it's not a physical. Like when I bite on the Eucharist, Christ's physical body is not hurting. Mm. Right, He's not. Ow. Stop biting me, right? And so that's why people, <laughs> you know, people, people are like, you know, you can't bite down the Eucharist. Yes, you can bite down the Eucharist because it's going to be destroyed in your stomach acid, right? You want Christ to go through that, right? But so the reality is it's a different type of presence. This presence is sacramental, which is, is not less real. It's absolutely real, 100%, body, blood, soul, and divinity, but it's a new manner of being. Yeah, I actually, um, there's a podcast called Godsplaining by the uh, Dominican Friars and Father Gregory Pine. He has, if you go back to 2022, around this time, I think it's Lent, he did a series on the Eucharist. So I, I highly suggest that because he talks about the difference between the types of presence, physical, substantial, all that stuff. So No, I don't recommend you listen to any other podcast other than Restless. <laughs> Dominicans are pretty other, good. Unless, it's, unless it's one of the other yeah. very tough podcasts. Like the tangent. And, and let me be frank. Let me be frank. That's it. Shout out to Bishop Frank. <laughs> Yes. Anyway. <laughs> Punny title, yes. Sorry, yeah. Ours isn't. Ours is not. No, we're just restless, zany, for zany young adults. Zany, oh gosh. Zany. Still on the website. Paul hates us, the fact that we, we can call figure out zany. a new name. <laughs> Crazy? <laughs> insane? I don't know. <laughs> insane. Any, I like insane. Insane, yeah. that's more more our style. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Restless. I hope this stirred up in your heart Eucharistic amazement. Go out and worship him at your next Mass, at your next uh, adoration. Make sure your soul is prepared through confession to receive him with great dignity because you are receiving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Restless. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM and 103.9 FM and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.